Welcome and thanks for listening to another show of The Health Zone. I'm Mihal Mahuna. Check out and like our Facebook page on www.facebook.com forward slash The Health Zone Show or follow us on Twitter on the letter D Health Zone or log on to our website on www.thehealthzoneshow.com If you subscribe to our mailing list on there, you will get The Health Zone Show delivered to your inbox every week and also you'll get a copy of our free book called How to Transform Your Health in 2016. Also, if you have any feedback on the show or if you would like to get in touch with us, our email is tunein at thehealthzoneshow.com. Today I'm talking with five-time New York Times best-selling author and internationally renowned speaker in the fields of human consciousness, spirituality, mysticism, health, energy medicine and the science of medical intuition. Hello, Caroline. Hi, Michal. What a pleasure. Are you in Dublin? No, in Cork, down the sunny south. Okay. Tell me, Caroline, what started you on your own journey of human consciousness, spirituality and health? Oh, are we going back a ways? Um, I, I don't think there was ever a, a start, Michal. I was never not on it. I think it was, um, you know, I, I suppose I officially, you know, when I was in graduate school, I studied mysticism and, uh, I was always fascinated with the the nature of the soul and the way and what made some people, um, how they became saints. What was that about? What was that mystical journey about? And why was it that other people started to experience the same rumblings inside of them that saints did? Um, and yet they, they found themselves on a path of madness Whereas other people just ended up becoming healers. And and I, I found that intriguing. Schizophrenia or sainthood or s- spiritual awakening. And then after that, I uh, joined two friends who asked me to um, move to New Hampshire. And we started a publishing company. And that publishing company was all about um, uh, spirituality and holistic health and but when I got there, um, within the first year, I, I I realized that my intuition, I was always very intuitive and, and uh, I was always very perceptive and that my perceptions, my intuitive nature became very focused on sensing how people felt, what, you know, how, how they were feeling and why they didn't feel good, why they didn't feel good. And it was not a major leap to sense why someone wasn't feeling good. And eventually that became more and more clear. And I could sense that someone was becoming ill as opposed to was ill. And then I met my colleague, Norman Sheely, who's a, um, at a conference and uh, in 1983, and he is a neurosurgeon uh, from Harvard University. And he was fascinated with people that he called 
medical intuitives. And he was actually medical clairvoyant at the time. But I, I said to him, I would never be called a psychic or clairvoyant so long as I lived. So we got together and he said, how good are you? And I said, I don't know. And actually, I don't care because I did not anticipate a life, the life I have or ever working with people in the field of health um, because I wanted to be a publisher and more than a publisher, I wanted to write fiction. But as I discovered, I have a genius for something I have no interest in and absolutely no talent for something I really wanted to do. So when we started to work together, he would call me with a patient in his office and he was, his office was located in the central part of the United States in a town, in a state called Missouri, which I'm sure nobody in Ireland has ever gone to. And I was located in a beautiful state near where you are familiar in New England, a state of New Hampshire, which is getting a lot of press now because of the caucuses and the election. New Hampshire's very renowned for its leading vote in the political process here in the United States. And we're not going to talk about those lunatics. But um, I was able to sense illness in people at a distance. It was there that we discovered that I didn't need to be near anybody. What I needed was somebody's name and their permission and their age. Now, their age, not their birth date. I'm not an astrologer, but I did need their age. And this was like a GPS locator for me. And in the early days, I could, I got impressions of, um, that were very symbolic. Like the first, I remember the first reading I did with Norm, I said, this man's esophagus feels like concrete to me. And he was developing uh, throat cancer. After that, um, my readings eventually became more and more accurate anatomically as I um, became familiar with the human energy system and the human anatomy system. Norm and I eventually started to do as many as six to eight readings a day for a period of six years. And I mean every day, except Christmas. And through the course of that, when I finally sat down to write a book called The Creation of Health, it was at that point that I uh, organized um, the 75 illnesses that I put in that book and recognized that there were patterns that, that for example, that what, what made the pancreas ill? What one? Why did people get pancreatic disorders, from diabetes to pancreatitis? That in fact, mo that the readings people that I did readings on, and by this time I'd done thousands, that there was a pattern to it. That the majority of them had issues of responsibility, that dealt with responsibility, meaning that that while every human being has an issue with responsibility. We all have to contend with um, being responsible for our lives, being responsible for uh, occupation, survival issues, taking care of others. That when we become, 
we suffer in the extreme when it comes to responsibility, when we think we are responsible for everybody and everything, that people absolutely can't get by without us, or we don't want any responsibility for our lives, and we don't take any responsibility for our actions. And our whole life strategy is about abdicating responsibility. It becomes the focus of our life to abdicate responsibility, to not pay our bills, to figure out a way to get around everything, that that becomes the, the re, how we make our choices, how we slide by, getting other people to pay our bills, getting the system to pay our bills, that this actually becomes the focus of our life, our lifestyle. Those are the people that will, whose pancreas and pancreatic system will be impacted the most. And um, every system in the body, the breasts, the, the, the blood, the, the ovaries, the, the uh, prostate, the leukemia, everything seemed to have a particular spectrum of issues that it was most responsive to. And in addition to that, lifestyle, um, how, what we ate, and in addition to that, environmental, and in addition to that, it was also a person's willingness to cooperate with um, wanting to, be, to get better. A lot of people don't. There was also a factor of... Um, whether or not somebody was vengeful. Because a lot of people um, see their suffering as attached to um, somebody's responsible for my pain and I am not going to let it go because it's useful. It's actually useful. I, I have, it's too much street currency for me to let go of this. So all of those issues human beings are very complex have to do with why we get sick and why we don't heal caroline do you think it's possible for people to heal themselves through personal transformation well you know you the whole world the word people is too inclusive it's an individual choice and no i do not believe all, everybody can heal themselves i do not believe that any more than if you said, can everybody win a gold medal in the Olympics? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But can every single person exercise? Yes, to the best of their ability. So put it in that context. Everybody can, can decide, I need to exercise my body, given what I decide to do with my body, but not everybody is an Olympic gold medal winner and winning the gold medal is a fully healed person. And they're rare because you have to really be willing to be as dedicated to the healing process as an Olympic gold medal winner. And is it possible that people can sabotage their healing efforts? That's what most people do because you know, that even today, if you look at your life, all you have to do is look around and recognize all the things you're doing in your ordinary life that are not good for you. They're just not good for you. And they're contributing even right now 
to the breakdown of your body, to the breakdown of your life. Everybody right now can list five negative things they're doing and they know it's not good for them, but they're doing it. They're doing it. I'll tell you one of the things that people don't get that is simply not good for them. And that's living in a messy house. That's one of the worst things you could do for your health, believe it or not, because it contributes to the chaos inside of you. It can, you need to live in a very clean environment. Nobody ever talks about that, but it's true. Here's another thing. You need to be an honest person. Liars don't heal. Lying is one of the most toxic things you can do. And no one ever talks about that. No one ever talks about that. One of the most healing things in the world is confession. Nobody ever talks about that. Why is that? It's not religious. I emphasize that, especially to a Catholic or or to a Christian audience. But the truth is that we need to be able to cleanse guilt. We need to be able to acknowledge we have a very difficult time with truth. That telling the truth is very hard for us. And there's a difference between, if you look at therapy, therapy teaches people to, quote, speak their truth. But that's not the different, that's not the same as telling the truth. And in our, in my country, I don't know what it's like in yours, but in my country, people go to therapists with their husbands and wives in order to say something honest to them. And they sleep with these people. These are the people they have children with. And they haven't said an honest word to them in 15 years. And the acts of self-betrayal are so extreme in people. And if you are somebody who, who um, practices the art of self-betrayal, saying things that are not true, you can't heal anything. Because you know you are simp you can't trust yourself. You can't trust yourself. And that builds self-hatred. And then the way you live with self-hatred is that you have to pick an external target to blame for why you are the way you are. And it's going to be a parent. It's going to be an ex-spouse. But you, and, and when it comes to, and this is the role the sacrament of confession plays. You get to go in there and say, you know what? I constantly say things I do not mean. I don't tell the truth. And I'm too weak to get out of this pattern. And I need, I need grace. I need some help here. I need to acknowledge that when I walk out of this confessional, I'm probably going to do it again. So I need some real divine intervention here. What do you think stops people from speaking the truth? Well, truth is so powerful that people know in their gut that there's only one truth, but there's a million lies. So you can just keep lying about something. You can keep making up things, but you can't keep making up truth. So if you say to somebody, where, where were you last night? Were you here or were you there? The truth is I was here. But a lie says, well... I wasn't there. I was, well, I was, but not for a long time. Well, I was, but I just dropped in. The lie can go on forever. And people know, 
people feel very comfortable in maneuvering the lie, but they don't feel comfortable in truth because the truth, they, you, you can't control the consequences of truth, but you feel like you can control the consequences of a lie because you can add on to it. It's endless. You just have to tell another one. Do you still love me? Absolutely. Were you with this person? Do you, what did you say to that person? Well, then you can add on another lie. Did you tell this person this? No, 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 I didn't. Well, how do they know this? I don't know. You can add on one lie after another. You can deny you said something. You can say whatever you want. If you have a dishonest character, you can blame other people for your own actions. There's no end to it. But if you tell the truth, you have to say, absolutely, I, I, I broke my word to you. I did. You told me not to say anything, and I did say something. I, I broke my word. Where do you go from there? The person looks at you and says, you broke your word? I asked you not to say anything, and you broke your word? Yes, I did. Why did you do that? Because I wanted to tell the person, because I, I betrayed you. And because I really thought the story was so incredible and I thought it would make a great coffee table conversation. And I liked the fact that it this, that your business fell apart and I knew they would get a kick out of hearing that. And so I betrayed you. You're absolutely right. And the consequence of that is admission that you have a pretty lousy character and you have to face that. That's why the truth is so hard, because at the end of the day, you have to face the truth in yourself, which is why did you do that? Whereas in a lie, you can keep blaming others and not even look at yourself. It's not unlike finally facing you're an addict. And when someone says you're an alcoholic, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm just having a good time. Everybody drinks this much. What are you talking about? And then the truth comes out. You're an addict. And when you finally have to say, you're right, I'm an addict, that truth means I got to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. I got to stop because the truth makes you make a choice that leads to your personal transformation. That's why people avoid it. Caroline, do you think there is a direct relationship with the truth and how much we love ourselves? Absolutely. I think when you start making choices that put you in league with truth, that's when you discover self-esteem. That's when you discover self-respect. That's when you discover the real meaning of self-love. Do you think people who are medicated for like depression and bipolar, do you think they may have hidden spiritual gifts? Oh, I absolutely do. And I think they also... Um, and you can't, you know, you got to be careful here because you're categor categorizing everybody in one huge thing. And that's not the case. So we have to edit this by saying there are some, there are some people. You can't say everybody. There's, there's always a risk in, in throwing everybody in the same pot. Okay. So with the experience, we, we have to acknowledge that there is an extraordinary number of people who are being listed as bipolar 
as uh, having disorders of the psyche. So what we have to do is look at that and say, what an, what an interesting time we're living in where we are obviously people of the psyche and the soul that we've entered a new era of our own development as a species in which sensitivities of the psyche, of the intuitive system, of our inner world have emerged and, and become to the forefront and become a critical part of our health and well-being, whereas that was not true before the nuclear age. That simply was not true. Prior to World War II, prior to entering this nuclear cosmic age that we are in, it was not the case. Um, while there certainly was emotional suffering, it was far more hardcore and base. There were opium addicts and alcoholics, and um, certainly there was madness. I mean, Edgar Allan Poe died an opium addict in the gutter here. And there were, of course, forms of mental illness. But the type that we're talking about is subtle. It's very subtle, intuitive, um, far more delicate types of um, sufferings is how I would put it. And in which and, and I would put in there the categories of, of autism and learning disorders, um, attention disorders, you know, a, a whole spectrum of depressions that um, the inability of sleep disorders, the inability to uh, creative disorders. And I, I totally believe that part of the epidemic of energetic disorders, energetic, comes from the fact that our airwaves are overloaded with energetic content. We live in a technical era in which our the invisible field is so replete with dark matter, is what a physicist would call it. We don't get that we are living and breathing invisible data constantly. And that, if, if you understand the way homeopathic remedies work, at the homeopathic level, we're like radio receivers that are constantly being fed energetic data nonstop, nonstop. And if a person's the least ungrounded, that's going to be like subtle electrical charges just sparking off in their energy field like psychic free radicals nonstop, nonstop, absolutely nonstop. And so that's number one. Number two is I, as, as we are no longer just five senses, we are a multi-sensory creature. And, and defining ourselves as just having sight and, and hearing and taste and smell and touch as our sensory system is absolutely primal, that, that, that's reptilian. Uh, we have an um, we have emotional senses. We have spiritual senses. We have we have intellectual senses. We have we have survival senses. We we are we have so many senses that 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 
we could fill a book on how many sensory systems we have. We have our intuitive senses, and even those have layer upon layer of those. And because we do not even recognize those, we have not even developed ways of discussing these, much less protecting ourselves, uh, uh, nurturing ourselves, developing as children, um, ways in which we, just like when you say you got to wear sunglasses because this sun is much too bright, so you have to protect your eyes. You have to make sure this substance doesn't get into your eyes. Don't listen to sound that light because you'll blow your eardrums apart. We know how to protect our physical senses. Don't put this in your mouth. But we have, we, because we, we so believe that the physical world is our reality, we have done nothing to study or develop what we need to do to manage our non-physical senses. All we are is subject to the consequence of not managing our physical senses, of not managing. And in many ways, this is how the medieval physicians began to learn how, well, if you don't, if you don't, you know, wash instruments, look what happens to legs. Oh my, they fester. And they didn't even get that the body has infection, a thing called infection, that there was a thing called germs because they didn't, they didn't get it. They didn't know that yet. They had no idea that you don't use the same needle on the same person. They were yet to find that out because they, they were so crude. They didn't have the site or, or, or the laboratories or the medicine that would eventually discover this. And that's where we're at. We're still sawing off legs with, with hand saws, without clean bandages, without any kind of antiseptic. Without, that's how crude we are when it comes to the human energy system. Is there a way to protect ourselves from this so-called negative energy? This is what we're learning. I mean, when we say, is there a way to protect ourselves? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it, that's such a huge, huge, huge question. It's, and it can't be answered simply at all. It cannot. It, it absolutely cannot be answered simply because the human energy system is multidimensional. And it includes the energy system. It includes your conscience. It includes your soul. It includes how it is you see your inner landscape. It includes the, the, the quality of choices you make every day. It includes how you understand the mystical laws. It includes the quality of choices you make. It includes a whole spectrum. It includes whether or not you live what you believe. So when I say protect, what am I going to tell you? Tell people to put a crystal on them? That's not going to do any good. person has to, to live in concert with what the highest quality of beliefs that they have. And you have to start there. The role of prayer is important. The role of becoming very mindful of the quality of choices you make in life and that you don't compromise your integrity. These things matter. These things matter because there is such a thing as cause and effect. There is such a thing as karma. You got to understand these things are not just a mental thing you talk about over coffee. 
if you understand that these are the laws of the universe, you have to live in, in concert with the laws. Don't break the laws. Don't break the laws of the energetic world. And when a person breaks those laws, is that's what is called disease, well, Charlie? When you break the laws, let me put it this way. When you break the laws, there are consequences. It's not just disease in the body. Not just stop limiting it to the body. That's a mistake people make. Your body includes the body of the whole of your life. Your whole life is your body. Your physical body is one part of your body. So the whole of your life is your body. So stop defining it by your physical body. That's an illusion. The whole of your life is your body. So the consequences are going to play out somewhere. What is in one is in the whole. What's in the micro is in the macro. So consequences will be in the micro and the macro. And the choices you make blend with the choices other people make. You don't control the universe. And you don't exist separate from the whole. So the choices you make with other people that engage with other people will blend together and create a third choice. So you've got to be very mindful of the quality of choices you make and with whom. Because it forms an alchemy. It forms an alchemy. So the, the body of your life is as real a physical body as the body of that you are dwelling in. And when you set a consequence in motion, you don't know if that consequence is going to be met down the road. And sometimes people don't, and this is very interesting to me, sometimes what a person experiences is coming from the, a life yet to be lived, a life yet to be lived. People always look backwards. They always think it's their history that's impacting them. And sometimes it's not. And, um, and number two, they, they always think that illness is a negative. It's res the result of negativity. And it's not. It is simply not. Sometimes a body breaks down because it is a form of guidance. It is a form of saying you can't go this direction anymore because it's time for you to go this way. And the body breaks down as a way of like going through the, the journey of being a caterpillar. And, and it's time to go through a gelatinous change so that you can become a butterfly. And I think that because a person sees themselves through the lens of, of if it's painful, it's bad. If it's pleasurable, it's good. If it hurts, I need an explanation. It's a very, that's a very simplistic model. It's a very simplistic model. And there aren't logical reasons for why things happen as they do. That, if you live within that framework, you're going to be very disappointed and frustrated. Life is not a logical journey. It's a mystical one. Caroline, you talk about choices. Is there such a thing as the right choice? I think I would say there are wise choices and there are choices that lead to woe. Let me put it that way. There are choices that support your destiny and there are choices that support your fate. And that's how I would put it. You're going to ask me, how do you know the difference? And so I'll beat you to it. 
it's not that difficult. Um, we're wired to make the choices that support us. We're wired. We are wired to know what is right and what is wrong. We're wired. That's where conscience comes in. Not consciousness, but conscience. It's not a popular word. But that's where our conscience comes in. It tells us this is the right thing to do. And this is not the right thing to do. But this is the right thing to do. And you follow those impulses. You follow those impulses. And a lot of times people will say to me, but I just don't know what, what the right thing to do is. And that's when I say, well, then go to the most frightening thing. Because you don't want to listen to the right thing. Then go to the next, which is what's the most frightening thing? What's the thing you don't want to do? Because that's the thing you should do. And Karen, do you think that many people are in denial of their true magnificence? I don't think people understand what that means. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? It means realizing your full potential on this earth. That's what I mean. And for you, what does that, how would that be expressed? Expressed from my heart that like you're not limited by your thoughts or your ego. It would mean that you're living completely from your heart. It's unlimited what you could create in your life from the point of view of humanity and for your own soul and spirit as well. Well, see, most, as a rule, people would think of their potential as manifested in an occupation. And that's where they're mistaken. And as soon as they do that, as soon as they do that, greed kicks in and then fantasy kicks in and they start imagining themselves as rich and famous. And then they don't go anywhere. They don't go anywhere. And that's not your highest potential. And it never will be. That's your fantasy. And that's not the highest human potential. It's as simple as that. And it never will be. The highest human potential is the capacity for a human being to do what they would not choose to do otherwise. To not give in to the fear of being humiliated. To not to be in the world, but not of the world. The highest human potential is actually the capacity to let the soul take over the ego's journey. And that doesn't make any sense to anybody until they recognize that, have a sense that of what their tiny choices are and decide these tiny choices are destructive. Like how much time they spend in anger, how much time they spend in fear and decide I can't make these choices anymore. They're, they're the most destructive choices I've ever made. I cannot do this. I can't be controlled by my fear of being humiliated. I, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. They have to stop hating the life they have. And they have to live fully the life they have in the moment. They can't look around and say, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. Their highest potential is looking at the potential their life has in every moment. If you become full in your day and say, um, this, this, but this street is very gray and my life is very bleak. Then you, you on that day decide, you know what? I'm not going to see this that way. I'm going to, I am today 
going to say, if this is where you want me, if this is where life has placed me, I am not going to spend this day hating my life ever again. I will not do that. I will not curse my own life. Your highest potential begins on that day because you've brought the highest potential you can to that day. You've brought it into that day and you've transformed that day of your life right there. Right there. Your transformation has begun. Would you have any advice for someone for helping people in getting into the heart of who they really are? Yeah. I think you start, you stop trying to change one, anybody in your life. The, the object of life is not to change another person ever any more than you would like the object of anybody's life to be changing you. Would you like that? Would you like someone to think their role in life is to make you a different person so that they could be happy? No. So it shouldn't be your role in life to change someone else so that they could be happy, so that you could be happy. The role in your life is to examine yourself and to take, to take on your shadow, to take your own self on constantly, relentlessly, relentlessly, and to ask yourself, why, why, why do I judge that person? Why, why am I holding on to my resentments? Why do I do that? Why do I take my pain and use it to punish other people? Or to control other people? Why do I come home from work angry and then beat up the people in my life? Lose my temper? Yell at them? Why do I do that? Why do I think that because I've had a bad day, I have a right to yell at someone else and then say, I've had a bad day. And then what happens is they end up apologizing to me for complaining that I beat them up. Oh, well, you've had a bad day. Well, in that case, go right ahead and yell at me because I'm a bully and I have to stop being a bully or I have to stand up to the person that bullies me. If anyone ever came into my home ever, ever and raised their voice to me because they had a bad day, it would be the last time they came into my home ever. And they would be out because I will never tolerate ever someone coming in and abusing me because they've had a bad day in the world. So how does it start? It starts by you saying, I'm going to um, manage my life and me. I'm going to ask myself, why do I take abuse or why do I give it out? Do I actually speak honestly? If someone asks me a question, do I tell the truth? And if I don't, I have to excuse myself, go into another room and say to myself, you just lied. You just lied. Why did you do that? And you can never hold another person accountable ever again for your actions. You are never allowed to blame another person. You can't say, well, my childhood, my this, stop it. Stop it. Your childhood's over. It's over. The only one making decisions for your actions now is you. And further, your childhood and your parents or your ex-spouse or whomever is not going to pay the price for the decisions you make today. 
They are not going to pay the price for your karma. Only you will. Only you will. So if you have any sense of karma, if you have any sense of who's creating your reality, if you have any sense of taking responsibility for your health, detach from your history. Detach from blaming others because they're not creating your health. You are. How come so many of us end up in these codependent relationships? Because they like blame. Blame is very popular. Blame means that you don't have to change a thing. You, you get to play weak. And you get to use the word trying. I'm trying. You don't understand. I'm trying. If we got, if we got to take the word trying out of vocabulary, saying you can't use that word anymore, you're not allowed to say that ever again. And you have to be honest. You have to say, I'm not trying. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to change. I like talking about it, but I don't want to. And then what I do is I say to people, don't you ever tell me again you're trying. What you tell me now is what is in it for you to stay angry? Why do you like it? Tell me why you like it. Tell me how you use your anger as a tool. How does it support you? What do you get out of it? Who are you punishing and how do you do it? And I talk to them in a different way. I bring out the abuser in them. Instead of being abused, I bring out the abuser. I say, tell me about your fantasies of how you want to punish the people who punished you. What do you want to do to them? I bring out the vengeful side of them. And then we're on to the path of healing. Caroline, is there such a thing as a healthy and happy relationship? Well, of course there is. Of course there is. Absolutely there is. But it's not easy. And it's, and it's rare. It's rare. It's very, very rare. And I'll tell you why it's rare. It's because of the way we've structured healing. The way we've structured healing has been the most destructive thing in the world to relationships. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that fascinating? Fascinating. Yeah. The way we've structured healing is that it just doesn't end. And it's all about wounds. And it's all about hypersensitizing wounds. And what it's done is it's created this inner self. Well, my inner self. The needs of my inner self. And it's made people not strong, but needy. Needy. And they love the neediness of the inner wound. Because it's a supported neediness by the society. Whereas prior to the way we've set it up, people had to be ashamed of their needs. They had to be kept them hidden. It looked like weakness. Now needs look like the right, a right, a form of empowerment. And so who's going to give that up? We don't have a model in which a person can be healthy and still have needs and still be vulnerable. We don't have that model. And so what people have discovered is that I want a relationship, but on my terms. And those terms are that I still get to be independent, still get to do what I want, but I want to be loved and nurtured on my terms my terms, and I want to be listened to, and I want my needs respected, but so does the other person. So essentially, people have become 
in a relationship, there's really four, four forces. There's you, there's the other person, and then there's your inner self, which is actually your best friend, your confidant, your closest intimate, and there's the other person's inner self. And so the two of you move into a place, but your inner self says, where's your own space? Where's our space? Where's our time to be our inner development? And the other person says, where's my inner space? So here you are telling each other you want to be together, but first and foremost, you want your space. So from the get-go, you're giving each other wrong signals. What's the way out of that, Caroline? Well, you know, the archetype of marriage is an archetype that itself has to go through an incredible evolution because marriage is an archetype that demands two people um, put the marriage as the priority, the bond that they have, that the union of forces becomes the union of their life becomes the priority. Uh, uh, and, and here's a word I very rarely ever hear people say, ever. And that's that they cherish the other person, that they cherish their spouse or they cherish their partner. And, 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 and we live in a world now where we have countless words for the other, for, for relationship. We have countless, we have, I live together. We bought a place together, but we, we, but it doesn't represent a commitment of the soul or a commitment of the heart, but it does represent a commitment of real estate. We, we live together, which is not a real commitment, not a true commitment because it means I can be out by five in the, in the evening. So it represents we co-share, but not really a commitment. We are in relationship, which means, which means what? It means we are getting to know each other, but without commitment. We're friends with benefits. What does that mean? It means that we meet and we sleep together on occasion, but not really commit. We're not even talking commitment. There are endless types. Why? Because there's no sense of trust or faith in anything. In anything. People don't talk about, I cherish this person. I absolutely cherish them. I have found someone that I want to be my witness in this life. And I am his. I am the person that will witness his growth, his soul, his breaking down and getting up again. I'm his witness. And he knows at least one person will see his life journey through to the end. And he will do that for me. I'm the one. And I cherish that he trusts me so deeply. That is the depth to which you have to be bonded. You mentioned before that we need to be spiritually set up to have a relationship. I really do think a, a person needs to examine whether they want to give beyond more than they want to take. Whether they want to... I don't believe relationships are fully 50-50. I think there are parts of relationships that are 50-50, but for the most part, you have to look at now which part of this relationship is going to be 
40 for me, 60 for him. Which part's going to be 60 for me and 40 for him? Because, or her, however one is in a relationship. Because that's how relation, everything in a relationship is not 50-50. And that's the truth. That is the truth. I'm a very nurturing person. I am the one that is the hostess. I'm the one that does Christmas and Easter and holidays, and I set this place up to look like a Christmas card. I, I do fussy, fussy. And everybody in my house at Easter time gets an Easter basket. And everybody, the adults, the kids, I, I put together fantastic Easter baskets that look like a mini Christmas. And because I believe in giving every one of my family members magical memories and because I, I'm very into enchantment, but my partner wasn't, I mean, he's the one I, he's not here, he's dead, but anyway, but you, I knew that that was not, that's not his, that wasn't his skill. That wasn't his skill. But so if you expect someone to be equally into enchantment, this is a 50, 50 proposition. But it wasn't. It wasn't. That's nonsense. And I am not an outdoor girl. That's not going to happen. It's not going to, it is never going to happen. It is never going to, if you said, let's go camping, you're going. This girl is staying home. I do not camp. I will not camp. I will not go out and be in a tent and stay all night and wonder what kind of creature is walk is going to crawl into this and say, isn't it lovely to be out under the stars? No, it's not. If I want to go under the stars, I'll sit on my back porch and look up. So lots and lots of things are not 50-50. And so you have to be realistic about this. And then you have to be realistic about, does this person have the same ethics as I do? Do they have the same ethics? Am I, am I going to be with someone who's honest? You have to know your values, your values, not just your habits. Beyond your habits, you got to dig deep and know, does this person have faith? And is that important to you? Does this person have ethics? And here's another thing. I distinguish between privacy and secrets. Privacy is very important. I have privacy. We maintain privacy, but we are, do not allow secrets because secrets cause a breakup. Privacy you have to have. You don't dig into each other's letters, diaries, and open each other's mail. Not allowed. But secrets, absolutely forbidden. Because the moment you, you, you have to start hide, secrets you hide, privacy you respect. So you really have to get down deep into the blood tissue of the person you're going to be with and understand their values. What do you value? Do you value life? Do you value your parents? Do you value your children? Do you value family? What are your traditions? Don't think that these don't matter because they do. Would you take care of your family, your elders? Or do you just think it's not important? Because it is important to know this. These things you've got to know down to your cell tissue. And if you think bonding with someone is just about, oh, wow, they're just so, there's so much fun. Fun? Fun? Are you kidding me? Life is hard work. How would you suggest, Caroline, for someone to meet someone that's compatible to them? Well, you know what I tell people? 
is that have you ever had to advertise for a best friend? Really, have you? Have you ever had to advertise for the people in your life you love the most? Absolutely not. Life provides them. Life provides them. And so what I've said to so many people, stop worrying about it. And and stop making that special person a fantasy. That's the worst thing you can do. It's like people make it look like they're looking for a unicorn. Stop it. You haven't considered it. In the same way, look at the people in your life you've loved. You didn't advertise for them. You didn't think, oh, my God, how am I ever going to meet a friend? How am I ever going to meet my, 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 you never did. They, they came along. That's my dog. Sorry. They came along organically. And in that same way, romantic relationships do come along. But if you're going to advertise, if you're going to go on those dating services, you've got to be I think a very grounded person, because there's a lot of crazy people out there. There's a lot of crazy people and those dating services have provided a means for a lot of people to cheat on their spouses. And they have. So you gotta be really, really, really careful. I, I guess I'm I'm somewhat of a conservative in that department because I've listened to so many horror stories, as well as knowing that people have met people that way. So both are true. Both are true. And I would just, you know, caution people to know their values, know your values, know what it is that's important to you and to not rush in and to say that, you know, to make sure you say to somebody, I need your dark side on the table. I need to know, like, I need to know what your history is. And the older somebody is, the longer their history is. Don't forget that. Don't forget that you can't afford to be with someone and then find out what they're like. I know you're in Dublin, in Ireland, in the February. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about why you're here? Well, I'm going to do a wonderful workshop as usual. With, um, I do a workshop in Dublin, and I think you can talk about the details of it. Do you have the details? Last it's Saturday. Saturday yeah. of February. That's correct. I think it is. Yeah. That's right. I have, and I. It's always one of my favorite things to do because. I love coming over to, and now I know exactly what pub to go to, and and it's just it's charming. I absolutely love it. It's just it's it's wonderful. So I hope um, it. You know, I really do hope people will come and join me. It's just um, let me let me see. It's at the Talbot Hotel in Still Still Oregon on Still Oregon Road, and I'm doing it on the mystical laws and healing. So I think it would be. Um, very much in keeping with the subjects we've been talking about. I love to talk about, you know, what is healing and introduce people to the uh, laws of, you know, how the laws of the universe impact health. So, and I thank you. It's been a pleasure. Same to you, Caroline. I really appreciate it and I really enjoyed it. Well, thanks for listening to another show of The Health Zone. Tune in next week for more exciting and interesting topics and guests in the areas of spirituality, relationships, finance, creativity, health, career and much, much more. In the meantime, check out and like our Facebook page on www.facebook.com forward slash The Hellstone Show or follow us on Twitter on the letter D Hellstone or log on to our website www.thehellstoneshow.com. If you subscribe to our mailing list on there, you will get the Hellstone Show delivered 
to your inbox every week and also you'll get a copy of our free book called How to Transform Your Health in 2016. Also, if you have any feedback on the show or if you would like to get in touch with us, our email is tunein at thehealthzoneshow.com. Well, until next week, have a fantastic, healthy and happy week.